This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Rheumatoid Solutions Podcast with Clint Patterson, helping you to live an easier, healthier, and happier life. G'day, I've got a very special guest today. Her name is Dr. Gemma Newman, and she has set aside some of her Sunday night to be on the podcast. So thanks very much for joining us, Dr. Newman. It's my pleasure, Clint. It's lovely to be here, and I'm so honoured. I've I've admired your work from afar for a long time, so it's been an absolute joy to have been invited to talk to you today. Well, thank you, and likewise, <laughs> I've been wanting to get you on the podcast for a long time, as we mentioned, or as I said just before we started this call. Uh, let me give uh, our listeners or viewers here some of the uh, background on your credentials. From your website, I've picked out some of the um, bits that I would like to read. Dr. Gemma Newman has worked in medicine for 15 years and is the senior partner at a family medical practice where she's worked for the last 11 years. She studied at the University of Wales College of Medicine and has worked in many specialties as a doctor, including elderly care, endocrinology, paediatrics, obstetrics and gynecology, psychiatry, general surgery, urology vascular surgery, rehabilitation medicine, and general practice. Dr. Newman has a specialist interest in holistic health, plant-based nutrition, and lifestyle medicine. In her practice, she has come to understand that body, mind, and soul are not separate, and that it is only addressing the root cause of stress and disconnection that we can truly heal from the inside out. She gives holistic health, nutrition, and lifestyle advice to her patients, who have gained tremendous results using the power of their plate. She's regularly invited to teach other doctors and the general public via training programs, podcasts like this one, and conferences about the benefits of plant-based nutrition. And I have invited her onto this podcast today because we want to talk about what it's like being a doctor, treating people who come in with inflammatory arthritis and other autoimmune conditions. We want to talk about some osteoarthritis. We want to talk about lifestyle in general and how it can impact our health. So let's, uh, let's get started. So thanks again. Um, and tell us, pleasure. you know, what's your day look like when you, when you go to work? Let's set the picture for what you go through each day and, and what it's like. It's busy. Um, so I arrive and my first, I've got, I usually do two clinics in a full day and I'll see around 15 patients in the morning and um, maybe up to 15 in the afternoon. And I'll have a 10-minute appointment slot per person. Wow. I may, I may have home visits in the middle of the day. I will have uh, results to look through, letters to review, um, prescriptions to review, and reports to write. And then somewhere in that time, I might need to go to the loo. <laughs> 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 so um, that's that's my that's my NHS day when I'm doing my work at, the, at my partnership and I don't usually have time for lunch but I can sometimes grab something it depends it gets busy because it's yes. a nationalized health system and yes. I've got nearly three thousand patients so I mean the, the good side is that I've really got to know a lot of my patients very well and I can review them over time. So it's not that I've only got one 10-minute slot with a lot of people 
especially with ongoing conditions. I can call them back in, I can see them again, and they don't have to pay for any of that. That's all provided through our national healthcare system. Yeah, uh, similar to Australia, I believe. And having spent the last six or seven months here in the United States, uh, I do miss the system. So whilst it isn't perfect, of course, and uh, every, I think most members of the public in each of the countries always have their criticisms of these medical systems, whether they're government-based or private or whatever, you know, I think that uh, it's nice at least to be able to um, feel that it's free. I believe we're taxed a little bit in Australia to be able to cover those costs, but you know, yeah. that's how it all I think rolls that's out. it. It comes it comes through tax. So you know, mm. we you, we pay we pay a fair amount in tax every every year yeah. in order to um, access the healthcare system. But it works very well in a lot of ways. It means that the people who don't have so much can get the same care as the people that do. And especially for things like cancer, you know, these are diagnoses that you know, especially in the US, no one want that kind of diagnosis but mm. if you're faced with a situation where you can't afford to pay for your care then that mm. is just devastating so uh, we don't have that kind of situation here thankfully although obviously that as you say there are downsides um, people will complain especially about waiting lists um time it takes to see a doctor of your preference and things like that but overall i think it's an excellent system and i'm really glad to be a part of it i don't like the idea of uh, somebody who doesn't have the funds putting off seeing a doctor when they could really benefit. And that's something that I would really struggle with. I've witnessed that here um, without being providing some specifics. Uh, some people that we know and love have put off particularly dental care um, just because they don't have the funds. And it's, uh, yeah. So anyway, look, let's talk more about your um, your plant-based nutrition background, your interest in yeah. this. Um, first of all, from a personal point of view, how did this come into your radar and why did you adopt that kind of diet and then after that tell us how you managed to sort of within 10 minute time slots with your patients somehow manage to get in the words uh plant-based nutrition in that short period of time (laughs) and encourage them to go down that path Okay, so the first part of the question is how did I discover it and it was actually through my husband mostly so I always wanted to find ways to help people heal and feel better. And I went on my own health journey when I was in my 20s. I didn't look after myself when I was at med school, long hours and studying late nights, junk food. And I I didn't have any health problems. So I just carried on like that until I realized I was actually overweight, bordering on obese. And I felt confused. I felt I felt hypocritical. I thought I can't be Mm. helping people to uh, get to their healthiest selves when I'm clearly not living that life. So that was when I had the inkling that I needed to start preventing uh, future diseases from coming into my life. And I thought the best way of doing that was the way everybody else was doing that. So I exercised a lot. I ate a low carb diet, lots of chicken and salads and, you know, fish and I did manage to lose a lot of weight that way. I went down many dress sizes. I, I went to a normal weight and yet my lipid profiles were still raised and um I was getting knee pains when I ran. I was getting sort of uh, aches in both of my knees. And I thought, well, I just have to live with this. It's my fate. You know, it's my genetic destiny. Mm. I'm living a healthy life. There's nothing else I can do. Um, So I put that on the back burner, really, imagining that that was just my lot in life. And then my husband was training to run the London Marathon. And he was getting a lot of inflammation in Mm. his joints. He was getting a lot of problems. And he thought, what can I do differently? 
And he started to research ultra marathoners. And the ones that he researched, he yes. discovered that they, they had something in common. They were all eating a plant-based diet. And so he was an early adopter. <laughs> he, was my, he was my lead. I thought, oh, what's he doing? What's this strange way of eating? And uh, he explained it to me. And I, and I felt like, oh, I should really know more about this. You know, my husband, he's not medical, by the way. But he's, he's doing this thing and I need to know, is it dangerous? Could he develop some sort of deficiency? You know, uh, so I began to do some research then. And, and then I discovered a lot of science behind it. And I, I began to delve deeper into the studies. And then I realized on a logical level that it made sense. That didn't actually make me do it, though. I, you know, I, I didn't sort of I didn't go full out into it for a little while. I just wanted to see the results first. And sure enough, he, he performed amazingly well. So the first marathon, he um, he ran it an hour and 10 minutes slower than his second marathon um, because of the change in his diet and his lifestyle that he had implemented in that time frame. So I was completely blown away by that. I thought, wow, this really seems to work for him. This seems to work for a lot of other people. This seems to be um, corroborated in the literature. And I decided to secretly give it a go. So I didn't want to lose face. I didn't want to just decide I was going to do it and announce it and then fall over and not achieve my goal. So I thought, I'm just going to do it quietly. And I took a blood sample um, about a month or so after I began my plant-based journey and my lipid profiles had completely normalized. I no longer had pains in my, in my joints when I ran, mm. even though I was running a lot less. I was exercising generally a lot less. I certainly wasn't uh, focusing so much on my health and yet I felt healthier nonetheless. Mm. And so I realized that it worked for me personally. It worked for family members. They had reduced osteoarthritis pain, reduced diverticulosis, irritable bowel, recurrent dental abscesses calmed down. So, so I could see the results in my loved ones. And then, of course, when I had the courage then with the literature behind me to talk about this with my patients, that's mm. when the magic really started to happen. And that's where I began to see how much it can change people's lives for the better. And that, that was truly special. That's uh, one of the most effective things I would say I've seen in my toolbox. And I've, as I said, I've been doing this a long time. I've been sort of experimenting with helping people with behavior change. And um, when people have adopted a more plant-based diet, that's been the most effective thing I've seen. Yeah. So give us some examples then and um, also help us to also differentiate um, how you emphasize the whole food plant-based diet and not the sort of junky vegan kind of you know, tomato sauce and, and French fries kind of stuff. And give us some of these examples and um, what you've witnessed with some of your patients. Yeah. So um, I suppose as a broad overview, my patients have improved their blood pressure and improved their arthritis, uh, chronic kidney disease, uh, Crohn's disease. What else? Uh, somebody reversed their very low grade prostate cancer using these dietary changes um, depression and anxiety has been improved. So there's a number of things, there's a number of different disease processes that respond to this way of eating. And I'll never forget my first patient, actually, that, that I managed to talk about it with. It was so funny. He came in to see me and he looked completely defeated. He, he sort of slumped down in the chair next to me and said, Doc, I've been sent home from work and I've been told not to go back. And I turned to him, I thought, what have you done? <laughs> My first thought was wondering what he'd done because you never know what you're going to see when you're a GP and people come in with all sorts of things. He said, well, I had an on-the-spot medical and they checked my blood pressure and it was way too high and they said, we're revoking your driving license and you're not allowed to come back until it's sorted out because he worked as a driver at the airport. Mm -hmm. So 
he said, I, I have to get back to work. There's no question. I said, okay. And I looked at him and I thought, mm, I'm not sure if you're going to respond to this. He's a, a South African guy, you know, yeah. obviously, obviously loved his meat. And I said to him, well, normally what I would suggest is at least one blood pressure tablet to start, then two, probably with someone with a blood pressure you're as high as yours, we need at least three agents to get it down to a, re- a near normal level. And he said, three tablets? How long for? I said, well, forever, really, uh, you know, until something else changes, until your lifestyle changes dramatically. That's what we're going to have to face. He said, I don't want to take tablets for the rest of my life. I said, okay. Mm. I said, he said, I'll do anything. I was like, mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I had his attention and I said, okay, well, what you could try is a whole foods plant-based diet. He said, what's that? I said, well, you emphasize fruits and vegetables and you emphasize whole grains and you emphasize legumes. And I explained, you know, things like green beans, lentils, chickpeas, oats and herbs and spices and nuts and seeds. And he didn't really look very impressed. He said, I'm not a bird. I said, no, no, I know. <laughs> I know you don't like the idea of seeds, but let me explain how flax seeds are really important and the lignans in flax seeds and how they've been shown to reduce blood pressure. Give it a try. I showed him the power plate that the physicians committee talk about where you imagine a plate of food and it's not one plate, it's not one meal, but it's just an overview of the kinds of foods to really em- sort of embrace in the diet. So I explain a multitude of fruits and vegetables should take a, you know, at least half of your daily plate and then you should have whole grains. If you've got, he didn't have anything like celiac or um, non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So I didn't suggest a gluten-free approach. I suggested plenty of mm. whole grains and um And I said, and and minimize the rest. He said, what's the rest? I said, well, animal products, including red meat, chicken, fish, eggs, and fatty foods, fried foods, junk foods, explained that processed foods, what that meant. And um, he didn't look too impressed because it's obviously a big change from what he was used to. I said, well, I've also got the tablets. You know, I'm happy to do the prescription. (laughs) He said, no, no, I'm going to try this diet. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So he tried it. And two weeks later, he came back to me. And his blood pressure had gone from 180 over 100 millimetres of mercury down to 120 over 80 millimetres of mercury. It had completely normalised. And because he was one of the first patients I talked to about this, I was as shocked as he was that it worked so well. So I checked it again. I checked it three times. I did his medical you know, a couple of weeks after that, I wanted to be sure that it wasn't just a fluke. And, you know, it, he, it was one of the happiest moments. He was able to go back to work. He was delighted. And yeah. I began to understand the, the benefits of it. So it is hugely effective in some people. Not everybody's going to respond as dramatically as he did. I have other patients that have had a big response, but not so big, especially my more elderly patients. If they had long standing chronic inflammation in the bodies, you know, their blood pressure may go from 190 180 down to around 150. But of course, I mean, that makes a huge difference to life expectancy and a huge difference to the risk of cardiovascular disease. And I don't ever say that you should only exclusively undertake these lifestyle changes. I always suggest to people that we can use everything in our toolbox, mm. uh, you know, yeah. whether that's medications uh, you know, or whether that's um, surgery, whatever that is, we want to just maximize the chances of healing uh, and, and take it from there. So yeah, he was one of my first patients that I remember. What a classic. Yeah, no wonder that one's unforgettable. Um, for me, so. besides blood pressure, which I've actually got a warning in our Patterson program because uh, I took a leaf out of Dr. McDougall's guidelines with his 
recommendations around this that sometimes if you're if you shift quickly to a plant-based diet from a very western style way of eating your blood pressure can improve so dramatically that if you are on blood pressure medications you suddenly could find yourself with too lower blood pressure correct yes yes and you could start finding yourself feeling unwell for that reason mm. Mm. And the same with diabetic patients. I've had some diabetic patients and I'd, I'd also add the same caveat. It's even more important, especially if you're on a hypoglycemic medication such as glycoside or if you're having to inject insulin, that you have to monitor things very carefully because your mm. insulin sensitivity will rise so dramatically that you're not going to need the medication and you're going to start having hypos, dangerous hypos, unless you monitor very, very carefully. Mm, wow. And the other one that I experienced personally was cholesterol. So I had a regular standard amount of non-dangerous levels of cholesterol, but my cholesterol absolutely plummeted. And what was fascinating to me was my rheumatologist, every visit, every blood test, he'd point at my cholesterol and he's like, this is unbelievable. He's like, if you could bottle and sell this level of cholesterol for people, you'd be like, like the most famous person ever. And he just, he, he obviously had this particular fascination with my cholesterol levels, which were so low and he'd never seen them so low. And that was mostly when I was concentrating on green smoothies and raw foods. So we're talking about an extraordinary amount of raw fiber, tons of yeah. fiber. That fits, that fits with the studies as well. There's one I read recently, uh, it was published in The Lancet, and there's a very strong link. Obviously, as you know, there are increased risks of heart disease with rheumatoid inflammation. And there's a study that they had a randomized single blind control study where they had a brief modified fast for the patients with rheumatoid arthritis, and then they had a raw, sort of high raw vegan diet. Uh, and then they moved on to a vegetarian diet. But what they found, especially for the, actually, no, there's another study I'm talking about here. It was a, it was one with gluten-free um, vegan versus a well-balanced omnivorous diet. And they found that um, there was not only reduced BMI, but they had a reduced level of oxidized LDL, which is obviously one of the ones that we look at more carefully, more closely with heart disease risk. And the, their atheroprotective antibodies went up. Mm -hmm. So there was a number of mechanisms whereby having that kind of eating not only improved the rheumatoid arthritis, but also improved their lipid profiles. So it's exactly the same as what you have experienced, but they also were able to show that in a, in a small trial. They had 66 patients with active rheumatoid arthritis, and they were able to show that in that trial. So mm. it's uh, definitely sort of corroborated. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. um Whilst we're talking about inflammatory arthritis and plant-based diets, why don't we um, also draw reference to our friend Ida, who is a mutual friend of ours and a, a, one of the favourites on our show, who's been on several times, who's also done tremendously well and someone that you've met at events, author of A Kitchen Fairy Tale, of course. So just connecting the dots, because our audience often watch every single episode of the show. Uh, and so it's nice to make that connection that you know her and you've met her and you I, mean, I do. She's yeah. lovely. And she's mm. doing so, so well. She's not long had her second baby. It's awesome, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. She's doing brilliantly. And her book is fantastic. If anyone hasn't got her book, then, you know, you should have a look. It's great. Wonderful recipes. <laughs> now, tell us more about either we can we can now transition across to some of the work that you want to talk about with uh, osteoarthritis, some of the studies or some of the other rheumatoid studies you'd like to reference. 
Or perhaps you've got another example of uh, another case that you've worked with as a patient uh, who's come to see you that you'd like to share. Yes, I mean, with relation to osteoarthritis, I distinctly remember one lady and she was in a lot of pain. And as you know, there is a slight inflammatory element to it as well. And it would wax and wane. Like some, t- some days she'd feel better than others. And she was, she was pretty desperate at that stage because she was on maximal painkillers. It wasn't working. She was looking at having to have her joint replaced. And I talked to her about whole foods, plant-based nutrition in a very similar way. I explained some of the basic principles. Because don't forget, in, in this kind of um, environment, you don't have that personalized long amount of time to yes. educate somebody. You know, having these programs is, is not possible. So if I, I basically very briefly explained, these are the principles, these are the kinds of foods. This is a good recipe book. Make a recipe a week, see how you get on, and then you'll change your repertoire within you know five weeks. And that's what she did. And what was astounding to me is that she came back to me um, a few months later and she came back about another issue, but she came to thank me as well. And I said, why? And she said, well, I decided to buy the recipe books and I decided to do some of my own research. And when I did, I realized so many benefits and I actually was able to cancel my surgery. I don't need it anymore because my pain is gone. Wow. And I, I was just oh, so happy for her because obviously, you know, having a surgery for a problem like that is very important if it's needed. But if it's not needed, if she could have done something to prevent the pain in a day to day life, of course, she'd have wanted to know about that and experience that. So I was absolutely over the moon for her. She did really well. Yeah, that's fantastic. You've got some uh, studies as well to um, to share with yeah. us about osteoarthritis and in plant-based nutrition. I think it's uh, very relevant to anyone with inflammatory arthritis because we all end up with damaged joints from the inflammatory impact, uh, loss yeah. of cartilage and so forth. So what have, exactly. you, what have you got to share with us there? Well, and as you know, you know, osteoarthritis is a more low-grade inflammation um, in the cartilage and the synovium, and you do have loss of joint structure, and then obviously there's some deterioration of the cartilage as well that goes with that. And we know about, you have a slightly increased risk of it, especially with sporting injuries, we know that, but it's actually, the main the main way, reason that it, it, it happens is often with the ravages of age, but also with obesity. It's interesting that if your BMI is over 30, there's about there's nearly seven times more of a chance that you'll get osteoarthritis compared to if you have a normal BMI. And physical inactivity, ironically, is also another risk factor. Mm. So people people worry about being active, but I'd say actually, as long as you're not dealing with a very specific um, and longstanding injury, being active is is really important for preventing osteoarthritis. Mm. Reducing the amount of plant foods and increasing the amount of saturated fats is also associated mm. with osteoarthritis. So I think there's partly genes, there's partly epigenetics, there are certain sort of male-female influences as well. But the bottom line is, if you can get to a normal weight and if you can have a fantastically healthy and nourishing diet, then a lot of the risk factors for osteoarthritis will melt away. Um, and that's something that I think is really important for people you know, in your support groups to know as well. And so why does it help? Like what, what is it mm-hmm. about a whole food plant-based diet that helps it? Well, in, to my mind, it's the, the multitude of phytonutrients, I think, that is, is so crucial to it. We know that um, there are certain specific phytonutrients that have been shown in studies to help. Um, so, for example, um, cyanidin is one of them. It's one of the anthocyanins, which is one of the sort of um, 
polyphenols that are in fruits and vegetables that can give us um, these benefits. So things like blueberries, black grapes, raisins, cherries, plums, prunes, aubergines, they contain these compounds and they could inhibit NF-kappa B pathways of inflammation. So there's certain pathways that induce inflammation in the body and these are great at trying to dampen those down basically. Sulforaphanes in cruciferous vegetables, again, highly antioxidant, mm. um, really important for many other sort of um, diseases as well. They're, they help reduce your risk of cancer as well as um, inflammatory diseases, fatty liver, things like that. So you get those from things like broccoli and um, cauliflower, sprouts, kale, cabbage, all those kinds of things. Oh, there's another one and it's called PQQ. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, have you heard of mm, that one? Not PQQ, no. no. Um, Perlaquinolone quinone is what it stands for. And that's ubiquitous in plants, all right? And it's a very, very strong antioxidant. And again, it's just another thing that, so what they found in these preclinical trials um, was that it was um, important for maintaining articular surfaces of the joints, Mm -hmm. uh, the thickness of the the cartilage, and also preserving the cartilage matrix as well. And that's that's contained, as I say, it's ubiquitous in, in the vast majority of plants. And there's thousands of other polyphenols, you know, resveratrol and lycopene and quercetin and all these natural plant substances. Also salicylates, you know, if you heard of the salicylates in aspirin that help to reduce inflammation. Well, actually, if you're having a high vegetable diet, you can do a blood draw and you can see that there's actually high levels of salicylates in the bloodstream which are important as an anti-inflammatory. They inhibit the transcription of COX-2 inflammatory enzymes, which is what the painkillers do as well. It's the same way that aspirin will work, for example, Mm -hmm. and also similar mechanisms to non-steroidal painkillers. So there's loads of reasons why that would be helpful, not only for rheumatoid, but for osteoarthritis as well. Yeah. What I picked up from what you were just saying then from those studies is that a lot of it's antioxidants, isn't it? A lot of it's, you know, the colourful fruits and uh, vegetables, correct? Correct. Mm. Yes. And it's not just about, well, it's a lot about antioxidants, but it's also about how it changes the microbiome as well. Sure. You know, you mentioned the fibre, that's very Mm. important. But, you know, rheumatoid arthritis patients apparently According to one study, they have higher levels of Proteus mirabilis, which is um, one of the more inflammatory uh, gut microbes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have higher levels of the, uh, antibodies as well. Mm-hmm. And when you have more of these Proteus mirabilis antibodies, it's associated with increased dis- d- uh, disease activity. So having a, a diet rich in fiber, rich in fruits, rich in vegetables will dampen that down and also improve your overall microbiome health, which is correlated with reduced flare-ups of the disease. Yeah, absolutely. How do you convey all that to it? When someone comes in to see you with rheumatoid arthritis, what is the precise use of your time? How do you convey all this information before you then, I presume, send them to a rheumatologist, which I guess is is your sort of duty of care, or, or is it not? So I would always do what I think to be the the uh, conventional thing as well. So, for example, if I've got someone that I suspect of having a rheumatoid arthritis diagnosis, obviously I will refer them to a rheumatologist, mm-hmm. but I will also offer them ways in which they can improve their situation in the meantime. And it depends on the person. It's very unique to the person. So I sometimes will, will speak about none of this stuff. Right. Sometimes it would literally just be, I actually, you know what, I have got a little mnemonic that I keep in my mind when I'm when I'm helping patients with behavior change, and it's called BLENDIT. The B in BLENDIT stands for believe. 
So the first thing is that I have to believe that they are capable of change and they have to believe that they are capable of change in order for this to sort of take hold. And so I like to, to think positively about all of my patients and their abilities to make their lives better. Uh, but they have to believe it too. So I start off with the B and then I move on to L, which is listen. I listen to their concerns. I listen to how it's affecting their lives and how their lives feel right now based on their symptoms and also how their lives could be different from other perspectives. You know, do they have time? Do they have the interest in learning about all of this? You know, are they in a situation that they feel they're not in control of? Mm. So, so really listening to them and finding out what, where they're at is a, is a good place to start. E in blend is evoke. So I begin to help them evoke a positive future. Mm-hmm. And that could be asking them, okay, so when your joints are feeling better, what are you looking forward to doing, for example? Mm. Who are you looking forward to seeing? Uh, how will it impact your day-to-day life? When you get out of bed, how will it feel when your joints are less stiff? What will you be doing? Who will you be seeing? So I begin to help them evoke a positive future that they could begin to imagine. N is no bossing. I cannot boss them around. This is nobody likes to be bossed around. And that includes patients. I think doctors are very good at saying, just do this. This is what yes. I'm telling you. Just yes. do it. Yes. And then they go off and they think, oh, well, I don't want to do that. Yes. <laughs> I ask their opinion um, and I ask them, would they would they be interested if I was to offer them some resources to look at? Is that something that they feel able to do? And then D is desire in Blended. D is desire. So once I've got them to sort of imagine this more positive future, I then get them into a position where they feel strongly that that's something that they want and that they can achieve. And then blend it is I is information. So then I give them the information that they have asked me for. And T is timed I give them a very specific time frame within which to implement some changes and then experience the benefits. So, so, so to be honest, that 10 minute slot is not just about imparting as much physical information as possible. It's about engaging with them and understanding what they feel they have the bandwidth to take on mm. and whether they feel that they're in a position to empower themselves and how to go about doing that. So, mm. So I don't tend to sort of rush to give them all the info at first. I find out what's important to them and then take it from there. But if someone is engaged, then again, I talk very specifically about the food groups. I write it down for them. Sometimes they like that personal touch. I write down the food groups and then I talk them through what they like to eat now and give them a couple of suggestions for meal swaps to start with. So we don't have to don't have to go sort of all in, go big, because it can Mm. feel a little overwhelming. Mm sort of give them what they feel that they can take at that time. Do you often see people, patients in parallel to their rheumatologist as well to offer them this additional, I guess, information and viewpoint to what their rheumatologist provides? I have an ongoing relationship over many years. So yes, that's absolutely the case. And I have patients who, I mean, in all honesty, most of the rheumatologists that I've come across excellent clinicians and caring physicians, but they don't know about the power of the diet. So it's not so much that they would be contradicting my advice. It's more that they wouldn't really know about it. They wouldn't necessarily have really looked into it. So I do find that it's a really important thing to be able to see them alongside the rheumatologist. And the rheumatologist, they don't actually get much time either. They may have a half an hour um, appointment when they first go to the hospital. Follow-ups may be, you know, 15 minutes. So it's it's really you know spending that extra time with somebody and talking them through what they've um, what they've discussed with the rheumatologist. It's actually very easy for me to add in sort of nuggets of information as they go along. See them again, see how they're doing, add in a bit more. 
but the results they get will be as dramatic as the changes that they implement. So I think that's something that I also try to say to them is, look, you know, having an extra salad a week will will help, but it won't change the disease process enough for you to really notice the benefits. So I'd you know, explain you, know, you get more, more results the more you put in. Yeah. And um, have you had some uh, clear, exciting improvements from patients who have adopted a plant-based lifestyle with any of the inflammatory arthritis conditions? So I've, one lady comes to mind, she had a very inflammatory bowel condition, which improved dramatically with the whole food plant-based approach. And then she found that her arthritis also went away and yeah. her asthma also improved. Yes. <laughs> so uh, yes, I'd say that there's a, there's a multitude of potential benefits, which is why it's, it's so gratifying because you know that the advice you're giving isn't necessarily specific to one disease process. You know, you're removing things that can cause inflammation and you're flooding the body with things that can dampen the inflammation process down. So yeah, there's a number of different mechanisms for that. Mm. Um, do you ever find uh, that you get some kind of kickback or resistance from the medical community when you talk about this? Because as people like myself in the alternative sort of health sort of uh, sphere, if someone tried to categorize me, it does tend to come up. Um, now, as someone in, with a foot in both camps, how do you, how do you delicately balance this? And um, can you give us some examples? So the, the way I, I go about it is I think to myself, when an intervention has no contraindications, no side, side effects or adverse effects, and can be combined with standard therapies, and we have no way of preventing the onset of the disease with a medication, then really it's my duty of care to suggest these alternatives, because you're doing no harm and you're giving a potential benefit. And there are studies to back it up. You know, I mentioned the one about the reduced um, markers of LDL cholesterol. You know, the other one that I started to mention and then switched over to that one was was a, a one year study which showed dramatic improvement from um, from a vegan and vegetarian diet intervention for patients specifically with rheumatoid arthritis. So it's not so much a stab in the dark or an anecdote. It's something mm. that you know you can, mm. if if needed, you can back up with some of the relevant information in the literature. But ultimately, you know, it comes down to doing no harm. Mm. So. Unless my advice is somehow seen as dangerous or um, contradictory to to the standard, then I then I don't see anything wrong with it at all. And it, it's interesting because colleagues of mine have actually been very supportive. Some some colleagues, you know, feel that it's not going to be as effective as it really is. But I think yeah. that's because they they haven't seen the power of it themselves. Mm. You know, mm. they haven't actually experienced that for themselves. And I'm sure if I was walking in their shoes that I would maybe feel the same way. So mm. it's really about trying to stay open, staying friendly, um, offering data, but not in a not in a way that that feels combative. That's yeah. not something that I think anybody really responds to. And it's interesting because when someone has a certain point of view and you offer, you know, you deluge them with data that would 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 um, contradict that point of view, then it's human nature to then actually dial down further into that stance and reject that data. So mm -hmm. um, I'm I'm more about just sort of showing through experience and um, presenting data when necessary, but not trying to push it, not trying to push it with people. Yes. You also have such a friendly, kind of calming and uh, smooth approach that's also, I think, helpful as well. 
You know, I, I think the approach where someone gets on their pedestal and, and becomes all authoritative with their approach can be very off-putting as well. Yeah. So I think it's helpful to, be, to, to approach it gently, refer to the science exactly as you said. And, and I love the point of, look, if it's not harmful, then why not? Why reject something that's not harmful? And we have some science to back it up. The science that I always present, which does pull some criticism, is like the one that you recommend, one that you mentioned, uh, the one-year study. Uh, often the trials are only fifty people, or the trials are a little older. Maybe I, by recollection, I didn't catch the name of that one. But some of the trials can go back, you know, ten, fifteen, even twenty years. Some of these trials, because you know, who's out there funding vegan trials when there's no money in it, right? So. We do hit that as a little bit of a challenge, but look, if their biggest argument is that the study is old or there was only 60 people involved, you know, I still think it's a valid, it's valid evidence. So, you know, we can still quote and use that information. Absolutely. And the thing is, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. Who's going to sort of fund this research? Usually it's pharmaceutical companies that fund the majority of the research. And, you know, they, they don't really have anything to gain from that kind of yeah. uh, research. Yeah. So, so it just, it's, just, it's just the way it works. It's the way of the world. And if we can help improve people's lives in, the, in insofar as they don't need so many medications, then that's always a good thing. For sure. Now, it's a tough one. Just, to, just to start to wrap this up, you've got a very busy couple of months ahead. Um, I know that you're part of the sort of uh, community of plant-based experts within Europe who speak regularly at events and so on. Have you got any speaking events that people in your part of the world may be interested in coming along that they could attend? And can you give us your Instagram handle so that people can follow you on Instagram? your website address, and then I'm going to tell my audience specifically how the, you and I and them can connect again as well after you share with us that information. Okay. So I have the handle Plant Power Doctor on Instagram, and uh, you can that's probably the best place to follow me because I mm -hmm. do put a lot of bits and pieces up on there. My website is GemmaNewman.com. And on that website, there's loads of resources. So there's talks that I've done. There's um, basic information about how to transition to a more plant-based diet. There's information on pregnancy, child rearing, diabetes, heart disease, healing in general. There's quite a lot on there. So check that out if you're interested. Uh, talks that I'm doing. I'm speaking at the Plant Powered uh, World Expo this weekend in Olympia, London Olympia. We're going to miss um, that. I won't, I won't so be able to get that released on time. <laughs> Okay, that's fine. Don't worry, there'll be other opportunities. Um, I am speaking at the Plant-Based Health Professionals UK conference, I should think. That's going to be coming up in May. There will be another plant-based conference, uh, plant-powered, uh, what was another one? I can't remember the name of it, plant-powered expo. Um, that's coming up in October. I'm doing a speaking event in Belfast for doctors. Um, there's, a, there's Doctors for Nutrition group in Belfast. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Oh, actually, no, it's not Belfast. It's Dublin. And I'm also going to the VegMed conference in Berlin in May. Um, so there's there's quite a few going on. So, yeah, the, if you could keep up with my Instagram page, then yeah. you'll find out all the different talks and where they're going to be. Fantastic. And then you've got a book that you're working on as well in between all of that. And before we go and talk all about your book, uh, that's a little bit you know, down the track. So maybe next time we have you on the show. Uh, we'll uh, we'll be able to talk about your book. 
Exactly. I'll have, I'll have come up with a title by then. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so that's going to hopefully be out at the end of the year. Beautiful. Dr. Newman and myself will be part of uh, rheumatoidsupport.com monthly support call uh, in the end of March 2020, so in about two months away. So Dr. Newman's going to uh, join me on that. So if you're a member of Rheumatoid Support, then you'll be able to ask questions of Dr. Newman. Uh, Obviously, we'll be able to be well covered on the rheumatoid arthritis front uh, with myself and her answering questions. but also. With rheumatoid arthritis, we always can develop these other problems, these, you know, coexisting health challenges that are outside of my expertise and my personal experience. So Dr. Newman will be uh, able to take care of those. We've talked about some blood pressure and cholesterol issues. We've talked about osteoarthritis on this call. So uh, just to name just a few of many things that can also be part of our health challenges. And so it'll be great to have you on that call and to be able to answer questions people's questions live and uh, help them without them having to go and see their doctor they can uh, have a chat to you get your opinion on that and how that will also be helpful for them so that's at the end of march but between uh, between now and then i just want to wish you all the best continue to do wonderful things to help people as a medical doctor and uh, and spreading the plant-based message it's uh, it's really awesome and thanks for coming on the show Thank you for having me, Clinton. I've got to say the same to you. You're doing amazing things. Keep it going. And many, many more people will benefit from your wisdom and your experience. So well done and keep keep up the good work yourself. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Rheumatoid Solutions. If you'd like to get more help to live an easier, healthier, and happier life, visit rheumatoidsolutions.com.